may extend a big welcome to everybody here today who's come along. Uh, and we've got the subject today of membership, and specifically um, church membership. Now, you probably come along and thinking this is not the most exciting topic for a Sunday afternoon. And in some ways, it isn't. But, <laughs> but, hopefully, there was, you'll find some challenging things this afternoon. I certainly would be honest with you, um, when I first came to this topic, I'd never spoken on this topic before. Um, but I've certainly found, digging into the scripture, there is so much good stuff in there about this area. And, and hopefully, we'll get somewhere along the journey today. Now, when you talk about the subject of membership, um, you look it up in the dictionary, you think, well, what, 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 what do we mean by membership? First definition, the state or belonging to an organisation. So we're probably familiar with this kind of thing. You apply for a membership at, say, a sports club. Uh, you play an annual membership of £25, although if it's a tennis club in Kenilworth, it's probably likely to be a bit more than that. Um, and then you have the privilege, then, the benefit of being a member. Uh, the alternative definition of membership is all the people who belong to an organisation. So, an example, the society has a very large membership, i.e. number of people in it. He said, well, yes, that, that's what we understand by membership. So I thought about this for a moment, and I thought, well, what, what things am, am I personally a member of? So I had to think, and I came up with all these different things. Now, most of you here, if you, as you can see over that side, I suspect are probably Tesco Club Card members. Now, this is the lightest form of membership that you could probably have. It started about 20 years ago as a, as a marketing idea for Tesco, uh, and they have a, a significant number of people in the UK who are Tesco Club Card members. And it's very, very simple. Um, you go to Tesco and you spend... You spend money and you get points back and then you can use it for things. And they get all your marketing information in exchange for that. But if, if you never went back to Tesco, they wouldn't be that bothered, really. So it's probably the lightest form of membership. We move on to the next level of membership. Now, I am a member, would you believe, of Liverpool Football Club. I think that's rather marvellous. I've, I've never seen you in the director's box at Liverpool. How can you be a member? Well, I'll be honest with you. I'm a member along with 130,000 other people. Um, and for the privilege of paying £25 a year, I have the right to buy a ticket for a football match. And that is the privilege of being a member. There's some very confused faces out here as to why you'd want to do that. But, um, the, but, it, but at least it's a next level up from the Tesco club card, because I actually have to pay something. So it involves a level of contribution and the benefit back as I get the right to buy tickets. Now, the next level up from that, on the right-hand side, you've probably not heard of this. This is an app you can get on your iPhone or your Android called Chip. And this is an, uh, an app that sits there, links to your bank account, and uh, it works out what your spending patterns are. It can save you money. And basically, it saves you money into an interest-paying account. I think it's a very good idea. Um, I actually liked it so much, I went a step further, and they were raising some money. So I, along with thousands of people, other, put a little, invested a little bit of money, and in, in exchange for that, I got a share certificate from Chip Financial. I am a part owner of Chip. If you ever use it at all, um, you have to come and speak to me because I'm a member of it. Uh, and as a shareholder, you are a member of the company. You have a part ownership. And that goes beyond the Liverpool Football Club thing because I've actually got a stake in the organisation. Now, we get to the ultimate. The biggest thing that I'm a member of, the most important thing of all, other than the church, the Law Society. Now, for those of you who don't know, um, I am a practising solicitor. I have been. I'll be 18 years qualified this year. And in order to practise solicitor, it's absolutely compulsory that I'm a member of the Law Society. I'm not allowed to call myself a solicitor if not. And my firm has to pay an exorbitant amount every year in order to keep that membership going. 
Now, the Law Society is interesting because if I'm naughty at all um, or, or do things I shouldn't do in any way, if I, if I commit a criminal offence, they can discipline me. They can actually put, put me through a tribunal and their ultimate sanction is to withdraw my membership of the Law Society. Now, that's quite important because that is my livelihood. I'm only qualified as a solicitor. There's very little else I can do. So if I can't be a member of the Law Society, that's it. Um, so that's a really important membership to me. Now, these are all human organisations, levels of membership. You're probably a member of one or two things yourselves. Now, we talk about membership, and there are definite positives about being a member of something. Now, it, it, before we look at this, it actually sort of escaped the fact that um, the last two years, there's been a sort of big debate in the UK about membership of a political political union. Um, and it's quite interesting how you, also think, you look at some of these things and you think, maybe this should have been debated a couple of years ago about the benefits of being a member of something and the negatives about being a member of something, but that's an aside. Anyway, so the, the positives about being a member of something provides a sense of ownership. You've got a stake in that organisation. Almost every single organisation provides benefits for members in exchange for duties. Usually the duty is paying them some money, usually. Um, being a member of something actually gives you a, a relationship with the leadership in some ways, keeps them accountable. It provides rule and structure to an organisation. Uh, there's a code, if you like, and then it helps the leadership look after people. So those are all the positives of being a member of something. However, there are negatives, some may say. Uh, can't actually read that, what that says there. But um, sometimes um, it's unclear. <laughs> that's, that's good, isn't it? Unclear <laughs> as, <laughs> as, as to what it actually means in practice. What does membership actually mean? I'm a member of Liverpool Football Club. It doesn't really mean anything at all. Just going to be a right to buy a ticket if I'm lucky. Um, some would say that membership prevents freedom. So, you know, you can't, if you're a member of something, you kind of can't really go off to something else in, in, in some ways. Some would argue it provides an unnecessary control over people. Um, in, in other words, it vests power in a, in a few people to effectively the tyranny of the minority, as it were. And also there's this sort of sense, particularly in our world today, that do we need these man-made structures where we should just be free to associate with as we please. So this is very much looking at sort of secular concept of membership. Now, we come on today, and we're not talking about membership of Tesco Club Card today. We're actually talking about something rather more important. We're talking about the biblical basis of church membership. Now, if you've come today and say, I have got a wonderful passage in the Bible that sets out the complete constitution of membership and how it should work in the church, well, you're going to have to show me, because I've not been able to find it anywhere. There is nowhere that sets out the exact terms of membership. However, membership of the church of God's people is actually biblically mandated. The point is, you've actually got to dig through the New Testament in order to find it. So, so often and so sadly, church membership is, is misunderstood it's misapplied, it's, it, it, it's sometimes made to be something that it's not, or, and this is probably the most prevalent, it's not applied at all. There are plenty of churches out there today which have no concept of a formal membership at all. And what's been very interesting over the last 50 years in particular is that issues like church discipline have very much gone on the wane it, it, as church membership itself has declined. But the point is, is that church membership is very different indeed to secular membership. And we need to get that very clear at the outset. 
So secular versus church. Secular membership, we belong to a club. Some of you will remember this famous slogan from years ago from American Express. Membership has its privileges. You're a member of American Express? You get a bit of cash back every month or, or whatever privilege that you get. That, that, that's what it's about in the secular sense. However, church membership is very different to that. Church membership, we belong to a community. Now, we call ourselves here, we're not, I mean, we're not even a church yet, but we are a group of people, Kenilworth Community Church. And that's quite deliberate in many ways, because it reflects what we're about as Christians. And most crucially of all, Ephesians 5.30, we are members of his body. And this concept of body is of fundamental importance. So I'm going to go through, and hopefully uh, if you've got Bibles with you, you want to flick at any of these passages which I'm going to mention at all, uh, I'm going to hopefully draw together what membership means in the biblical sense. Now, fundamentally and most importantly of all, membership denotes being part of a physical body. You're probably familiar with a passage in 1 Corinthians 12, 12, uh, sorry, 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 27, um, but this is, if you like, the most fundamental part of it. So just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptised by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we're all given one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And that's the point with the church is that we are all members of the body. It's this concept of covenant connectedness. You see, effectively, we've got a covenant with Christ. And as a result of that, we've got a connection with each other. I won't go on to, 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 to read the rest of it, but, um, because we've looked at it previously. But if you've got the foot saying, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body, and then the ear saying, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, for that reason, are you not part of the, part of the body? It's interesting how if, if you have your arm cut off, it's said that you are dismembered. You lose a member, you lose a key part of your body. And so it is with the church. If anyone sits outside of the body of the church, then effectively the body is weakened as a result of it. The second aspect of membership is that concept of community. Now, if we look at um, Ephesians 4, uh, 2 to 3, it talks about unity of spirit. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. It provides this wonderful idea of what a Christian community is. Um, for those who've, who've been coming on to home groups uh, in the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at this very specific point, what it means to be a true community of God's believers today. And by being part of a body, being part of effectively a membership within the church, um, that really enables that to happen. Then we look at Philippians 1.27, which talks about one spirit. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or hear about you in my absence, 
I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as the one for the faith of the gospel. See, Paul's writing to that that, uh, church in Philippi. And he's very much urging unity amongst the believers. Then we move on uh, to uh, the letter to the Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians 3, verse 12. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. Again, that creative bond of love between the believers. And then finally, and probably most famously in Hebrews 10, 25. Do not give up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. And this is very much the passage that sort of mandates that Christians must meet together. They must effectively form a church group together, um, a community where we are all committed to one another in love. And the third aspect, so we've looked at uh, the body, we've looked at community. The third aspect is that of family. In 1 Timothy 3.15, it talks uh, about the church being like a household. You will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. You see, we have an amazing privilege here as believers. We are God's household. You look around and that's just an incredible thing in itself. The fact that God chooses to have us as part of his household here on earth. I find that an an amazing thing. And it's something we need to take seriously. Then secondly, um, again, sort of keeping this sort of idea of a physical building in some ways. uh, The concept of a dwelling in Ephesians 2, 19 to 22. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Again, this concept of the church being a building, of something of permanence, something which is built on the foundations of Christ. Something that we should, which we need to, need to take seriously. Not something that we can just casually come together as occasional groups. But one actually that we need to be committed to. In the same way that the parts of a building are committed together. And then finally we have this picture in Galatians 6.10 of a family. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. Especially those who belong to the family of believers. Now, almost everybody here will have been part of a family, a physical family, probably many still are, um, in, in, in some way or other. And, and you don't, in a sense, have a choice with your family, do you? Uh, I mean, I sometimes look at my brothers and I wish I'd had different brothers in some ways. Um, but they're great. And, I, and I, do, I, I do like my brothers, don't worry. But, um, but the point is, I didn't get to choose them necessarily. But they are family. And we have a connection between us as a result of, of, of being part of the same family family so you say well that's all very well you know we've got the concept here of the body we get that we've got the concept we need to be a community and we've got the concept of being you know a a family but how how does that all work together what 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 does the new testament have to say about the structure of a church the structure of a membership well 
Last time we, we, looked, we, we, we met here, Jim talked um, quite a bit about elders, so I, w- I won't cover that ground again. But if you like, the New Testament model is very clear that a church should be led by overseers, led by our elders, 1 Timothy 3, 1 to 7. So that's out the characteristics of what an elder should be. But interestingly, the members appoint the elders. So, what, so if you don't have a, a membership of the church... Who appoints the elders? You have to have a, a membership. Acts 6, 1 to 6. From there, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn the responsibility over to them and will give you our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. And it talks about the people that they then chose. And then Titus 1, 5. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might put in order what was left unfinished. And appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If you like, there's a contract. You know, the, 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 the members choose the elders and then the elders effectively oversee the members of the church. And we see that in, in 1 Peter 5 2, where the, the elders then have pastoral oversight of who? Of the members. Be, be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them. Not because you must but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve. And then finally, we have uh, a couple of passages here where it talks about the importance of the members submitting to the elders as well. Hebrews 13, 17, have confidence in your leaders, submit to their authority, because they keep watch over you as those who must give you an account. Do so, so that their work will be a joy, not a burden, for that would be of no benefit to you. And then 1 Peter 5, 5, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourself to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another. So again, that's interesting, that concept of humility that comes out. So in a sense, we have a biblically mandated structure of how we are to run as church. But what does this break down in practice? Well, at Kenilworth Community Church here, we are not, as I said already, we're not yet a church. But we've, we've, we've made it quite clear that we're going to get to a point where very soon, if, if we appoint, say, a full-time leader, we're going to need to constitute a membership of this church. And that membership has to come first before we even get to appointing who are going to be the elders in order to follow the New Testament pattern. Now... We will, we will be asking everybody who comes along regularly, would you like to commit in membership? And you're probably going to ask the question, well, what's that, what does that mean? What, what is that going to denote? Well, if you choose to become a member, that shows a commitment by you, not just to your leaders, not to one other person, but to the whole body of the church. I'm going to be committed to this. But it's a, it's a two-way thing, because it also shows a commitment by the, me- uh, by the church to you to effectively look after you as well. If you become a member, it will show a level of obedience as well, in the sense that you are willing to submit yourself to the oversight of the church. And it will also enable you to take an active part in the decision-making of the church as well. Now, at this stage, we haven't even, even as a core team, got, got as far as debating what, what, what this would entail. But I've, I've had the opportunity to look at a lot of different churches and their practice and so on, um, and these are the common things that come out that are generally expected of members. But in a few minutes, we're going to sit down and we're going to debate these actually on a table and whether we agree that these are appropriate things and indeed whether there are thing, extra things that you would expect of, of a membership. 
But certainly, I think it would be expected that a member will be committed to coming regularly on, on a Sunday when we meet and would commit to, if they can, being part of a house group or a small group. Um, certainly, a, a member would be expected to help in the service of the church, who would submit to the church leadership, would, would certainly commit to giving regularly, and would commit to coming along to members' meetings as well. Now, that's, in a sense, all commitment, if you like, obligation on behalf of those who would choose to become members. But there's a two-way thing here as well, because the church itself, by virtue of people choosing to become members, will then nominate and appoint leaders, will commit to caring for everyone, will involve all members in in, in decision-making, will ensure that church discipline happens, and will ensure that the churchman remains financially secure. And this concept as well that we're very committed to here of every member ministry, everybody getting involved in the service of the church. So, in conclusion, that was a bit of a canter there through the concept of membership. But I think we can draw these conclusions from this. Because if you want to commit to serve and love one another as a community of God's people, the most effective way is to become a member of a church. In that way, you're almost going to be counter-cultural in a way, because culture these days says you need to be free. You can associate, you know, disassociate with anyone as you please. It depends what you feel at the moment. Membership is the opposite of that. That says, no, no, I'm going to commit myself to this group of people. And in return, this group of people will commit themselves to you. And I would go as far to argue that actually local church membership is arguably a matter of biblical obedience, not a personal preference. Um, because it shows that, that covenant commitment, if you like, that is, is there throughout the thread of the New Testament. We're now going to sort of uh, have a little bit of time for further discussion amongst tables, uh, around tables, I should say. Um, and we're going to be asking two questions. The first one is, do you agree what's, what's, con- what's contained, if you like, in the contract of membership below? This is just an idea. It's certainly not something we're, we're, we're going to necessarily go with. But it's just interesting to see what you think of, of, of what, what it constitutes. And then secondly, thinking about what it means to be a community of believers in Kenilworth, in this town, in 2018. What real things can we do to make us, uh, ourselves live these values so that actually we may draw in and be attractive to outsiders. If any of you have ever studied Acts at all, in particular Acts 12 and 13, and it talks about the early church, they, were, they got mocked by the people around them. They were, called the, they were called Christians because they were so much in love with Jesus Christ. They were the first people to be called Christians. And, and, the, and what the people outside found absolutely intriguing about them was that the love that they had for one another in that, in that church. And that's a real challenge to us starting a new church here. What is it that's going to be distinctive about this congregation that binds us together as a community, that makes us attractive to the people out there? Let's think about that now as we get round tables.